Welcome to a special edition, I like the word special edition, of the Weekend Sports Cars, not featuring Marshall Brute this week, uh, but featuring two special guests I will introduce in a moment. But first, as always, we'll say thank you to the sponsors who make this possible, to Cooper Tyres, the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Now, first an apology, and it's a grovelling apology from me, uh, we did promise this was going to come live from the hotel bar at Monza last night, and uh, I'll introduce the first of my guests, uh, Martin Haven. We, it's not to say we didn't go to the bar, Martin, but we didn't record a podcast there, did we? Why didn't we record a podcast? Um, looking at you. Yes, that was because I left the somebody. microphone locked in the, in, the, uh, in the TV booth back at the circuit. Martin Haven, um, obviously a man with, I'd say, decades and decades and decades of experience in motorsport commentary. Lead commentator, of course, of the FI World Endurance Championship here at uh, Monza, as always, and the voice of the WEC. The new voice of the WEC used to be a guy, up until last year, was out there literally peddling his trade, but delighted to be joined by, by our new for 2022 colour presenter, 2014 world champion, and Davidson. And well, hi, the new. <laughs> no, don't go there. <laughs> um, By the way, your microphone's very big. It's not it's, the only thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, yeah, easy it's, to forget, isn't yeah. it? It's reputation yeah. that's big as well. And all, all those, yeah, let's, let's not go there. Now, um, it's going to be the regular format. But before we get into some of the questions we got from a quick call out, and thank you very much to Daniel Summerskill as always, putting those together. It's been quite the weekend already here, uh, and there's, there's one major storyline. It's not the only storyline around, of course, in sports car racing now, but that's Peugeot. Now, you've both been around, you've seen the car, you've seen the car particularly close up. Um, it, this is a step, isn't it? It's a step towards something that I think we're all looking forward to. It's just, it's the dawn of a new era, I feel, in sports cars. What's coming? You know, it's not just the arrival of Peugeot, it's what's going to be in WEC in the future because there's an air of optimism now for a championship that, dare I say, felt like it was crumbling a little bit a few years ago and it was looking which direction to go in. Teams were pulling out, manufacturers were pulling out and we were down to just a select few of the top category remaining where now there's this air of optimism, a new dawn is coming for WEC and Peugeot as exciting as it is that they're here now for this one particular race, you can feel that the whole paddock's even more excited for us to come later on because more teams are going to follow their lead. And there's, 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 I mean, it's one of those things, I've said it before in certain periods of time, where it seems to me that every time you or Martin or I walks down the paddock or the pit lane, there's just another story emerging. And you know we're already at the stage where, and we'll get onto this shortly, with what we already know, for next season, if everything carries on as it should do with the programmes that are declared, we're into double figures for the FR World Endurance Championship and the hypercar class. And it's not a million miles behind that for the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship with their new era in GTP. And then 2024, it's another step again. And I'm, I'm at the stage now where I think I'm about to write something that says I think we're expecting top class cars with a number two in the two figure. Um, two-figure total for the class, Martin. Well, the, the next, the next news release 
always seems to be good news and better news. Uh, and that it, it's a little bit like this week in UK politics. If you haven't looked, don't. But, you know, it's just story after story after story. And the list of manufacturers, and actually, I think, touching on, on IMSA and, and ACO rules regulations, you know, converging, we've been talking about this possibly, conceivably, hopefully, gradually, eventually happening for three or four years, and now suddenly it has happened, and lockdown and no racing made that 100% possible. Both sides have said, if it hadn't been for that, if we'd still been running regular programs, we would not have had the time to talk to each other and really firm up this umbrella rule set that is called Global Hypercar. And the key, and that is the key, that is the key to why suddenly there is so much interest, because it's not a Euro-centric or World Championship-centric uh, ACO set of rules like Group C was that might eventually dribble over into America, and it's not an IMSA-centric group of rules there that is, you know, totally home market. The thing about this is, it is a global brand, it is a global set of rules, and and actually really quite a loose set of rules as well. And we'll talk a little bit about yeah, that later, yes. probably. But what it's done is just thrown the, thrown the doors open on both sides of the Atlantic, which means as global as you can get, and said, got a car? No, doesn't matter. Do you want to have a car? Yes, great. What do you want to do with it? Doesn't matter. Bring it. Yeah. And, and you can create, like Jim Glickenhouse has, or like Peugeot have, or like all these other manufacturers will do, and like Toyota have already done, create a car that suits your own personal abilities, requirements, needs, and so on, and, and race on equal terms. And more than that, it allows you to do something that's been very difficult for a top-class car, impossible for a top-class car, for the last couple of years. And this is where it gets into that, that box ticking, that we know that professional drivers like to do the biggest races, that people funding these programs like to do the biggest races. And one thing this does do, Anne, is it allows you to pick and choose. It allows them to do the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona and WEC. It's like when I used to race with Peugeot back in the day in 2010, 2011, they would pick and choose the big races. Um, you know, Sebring 12 hours, Petit Le Mans, and well, a thousand kilometers of Silverstone, a thousand miles of Silverstone, I should say. And they would pick and choose those, those races. There wasn't a, a proper championship, not a world championship uh, back then. So it's just the best of all worlds, really. I think. I think I like the reason why I like this new set of regulations that allows like Martin Mazzetta and anyone just to come and play with whatever car you can think of is because no one wanted to come and beat Toyota at their game in the LMP1 days yeah. you know, when, when they were the only car out there after Porsche and Audi had left and Toyota ran with it and won everything it was a clean sweep time and time again who was going to really invest the 200 plus million euros a year to come and fight them. Peugeot weren't going to do it. Yeah. I can tell you now, Peugeot wouldn't be here if those rules hadn't changed. And it's going to entice more and more manufacturers to come and play. And it is. A, yeah, and look at it. It just goes to show all you need to do is think about it long and hard and come up with the right solution regulation-wise and they'll come and join. And for manufacturers, and particularly our next scheduled arrival, Porsche, who have a long and extremely successful history of customers racing their cars, which we have in all the GT classes here, 
That's really important. It's really important that they can sell cars to customers who want to race Porsches in North America and across the world. And in, you know, in years to come in things like maybe Asian Le Mans series or, or whatever. So it's really important for them that it's not just dovetail to one specific set of regulations because they have very loyal customers as the BMW, as the Ferrari, as the lots of the manufacturers who want to race their product in their own market and their sponsors want to be seen in their own market but it's the same car so if you are based in North America you can race in North America with your homegrown sponsors your homegrown team you can also come and do Le Mans or Silverstone or Fuji or or anywhere else because the same rules apply and and again I think this is probably something we'll get to a little bit later as well is if it were just hypercar, that is reason enough to be hugely excited about in the next three, four, five, ten years. But it's not. Yeah, it is what we were talking about actually in FB3 um, and FB2 before that, which is we've got this extraordinary transition over the next three seasons with three major changes coming. Hypercar is already here, but we know that, as we said, the tsunami of new entries is coming next year in 2023 with another wave in 24. So first we've got the explosion for hypercar and GTP. In 2024, we've got this transition away finally in ACO Rules Racing from GTE to GT3-based cars. So we'll wait to find out exactly what is going to be involved there and who's going to come out the woodwork and add to that. And then in 2025, we've got the new LMP2 class, which is numerically the most important class to ACO Rules Racing around the world. So you're right, over the next three years, and by the way, all of those dovetail, so it's not like we just do Hypercar in year one and we just do GT3 in year two and we just do LMP2 in year three. Hypercar has got storylines that are extending into 24 and 25. GT3 inevitably will, um, when you find manufacturers looking for opportunities, all of a sudden, the opportunity for any manufacturer, large or small, to race at the mark, surely is going to be more likely to bring more people into that. We've already got a dozen or more capable of doing it. I think it's going to be more than that. Okay, let's move on to some specific questions. We did point out that you guys would be joining us, and unsurprisingly, there's a couple of questions directed at Mr. World Champion here, because it's important we do respect the fact that he is not an ex-world champion. He will always be the world champion. I think it's quite depressing we have to address him as that. Um, you don't have to. Well, with me, however you want. It's the Sir Wilson it's a, You've not seen the contracts, have you? <laughs> um, what? Stephen Gates says, Hi, with Ants having driven for both Peugeot and Toyota, which car would you most like to drive at the 9x8 that you are? Okay. Uh, it's a good question. Um, ideally, both. If I had to choose one... You must, because Stephen says... I, I must. Oh, that, uh, really? Do I have to choose one? Um... I, you know what, I think I would choose the Toyota okay. because I would be intrigued to see how it felt compared to the car I knew, the LMP1 car. Yeah. And it's essentially still the same team running it, but it's a very different car to the LMP1. Not too far away in terms of lap time, but I'm just intrigued to know what it would feel like. I mean, I still say I, I've been lucky enough to drive the fastest, and in my opinion, the best sports cars, the LMP1. It was, it was ludicrous money. Yeah. The, the rules were very different, so it allowed much faster cars. But amazing. But I knew at the time, and I said so, I think even, even before I won the championship, I said, 
this is a bubble that's not going to last. Yep. I think it was when Porsche had arrived. Porsche had arrived as well as Audi. And I said, this is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it must have been, I think, 2014. I said, and I'm loving every minute of this. The cars are phenomenal to drive. I love the racing. The hybrid boost, you get 500 horsepower, so much more than you get today. The lap times are insanely fast. And it felt like a Formula One car that I remember. But I knew it wasn't going to last because they were spending close to 300 million euros a year. It's unsustainable. Well, this and is, look what happened. This is the point. We've all been in a vicious bar fight. And when you've got a vicious bar fight between someone holding a chair leg and someone holding a pool cue, and it's someone, very aggressive. And then Why someone walks in with a pump action shotgun. It's going to end badly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take your point. It, 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 you know, it was Formula One money, basically. It was, it was Formula One money, and the cars were amazing as a result of it, but it was never going to last. It, so they, they, I think the ACO, FIA, they knew, and WEC, they knew they had to change something. It and was I feel massive like, fun while it lasted. It, it was. It was really good fun while it lasted, but we all knew deep down it wasn't going to last. But I feel like this set of regulations that we have now, um, I feel like it is not just going to last, it's, it's going to entice more people to come and join the fight. And, uh, and it's, a more, it's more of a fair fight now um, because you have these set parameters uh, with the drag, the downforce, uh, this is a hypercar, yep. of course, the drag, the downforce, the power and the weight of your car. Happy days. You know where your target is. Gone are the days where you question where your competition are before you reveal your car and hit the circuit. Uh, wondering, biting your fingernails, where you're going to be lap time-wise, you pretty much know now, if I can reach those parameters, we can go and have a good race, uh, bring it on with, with the likes of Toyota that have been here for years. So, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the championship side of things. The cars themselves, I think I would, I think I would drive the Toyota, not just because it's the car that I drove in the park most recently, but also it's, it's, a, it's a car not in its infancy. Okay. And it, there's always a sense of trepidation from a driver when you drive a brand new car and also a sense of reality that you know there could be disappointment around the corner and I would like to drive the Toyota because it's more of a refined car. So no it's, it's a known quantity. The yeah. team know the car. It, you know, it's better than it was last year and drivers are always trying to drive the best you're getting refined it at its, machinery. You're getting yeah. it at its best. Yeah. 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 Would you prefer to drive a prototype road car or, or, a, or a car that's been around for a few years from a top manufacturer that is, you know, right they, they, know they know the ins and outs of it. Understood. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's where I'm coming from. But yeah, of course, the Peugeot is a lovely machine. Here's what we can all play. Um, this one comes from Ewan Wayne, at Smoking Puppy 841, don't ask. Um, on the day of Peugeot's return, what is one of each of our most distinct memories of their previous sports car exploits. Again, you were part of this. What was your most distinct memory of Peugeot's past exploits? Uh, not signing me in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> That's second on my list. Of <laughs> That's a good answer. Well, I mean, look, David Brabham did win the championship, but my God, it should have been me. <laughs> I had the draft contract, God damn it. Wow. Thanks a lot, Olivier Cannell. Uh, long story. No not hard bad. feelings. Not bitter. Not bitter at all. Martin, not bitter. were you nearly signed for Peugeot? I was nearly singed by Peugeot. Oh, were you? Ooh. Yeah. Both Group C iterations, or, or Group C and then the three and a half lease guy, I was in pitfires in both of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Wow. In, in the first, I was, again, working for Eddie Lamont in pit lane, I was between the refueling tower and the car. Oh, good God. And it went, what? <laughs> suddenly, it just, something just suddenly went bang, and the door was open, and suddenly, I mean, it was woof. It was, I mean, it wasn't that Jos Verstappen. Did you have time to say it wasn't me? No. I, I didn't even have time to think about moving. And then the next iteration of the three and a half litre cars also nearly set me on a light for exactly the same reason. That time I was on the fast lane side of the car when it went woof and David Brown was out of the cockpit and joined me in a nanosecond before I'd even quite realised what had happened. Um, so the, yeah, so the diesel era, luckily there was less of that and I'm looking forward to there being less setting right to Martin Haven in Peugeot's current programme. Quite difficult for the current Peugeot programme on the basis that we're in a porter cabin on the other side of the pit carriage. Here? It that wasn't at Le Mans. It would have to be some kind of Facebook. <laughs> anyway, so that's that one. I'll tell you, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a positive and I'll tell you right now, the, the 908 HDI FAP, the original V12 engine car, what an astonishing piece of kit that was. But for me, the two moments, it was Montani, just after dawn, coming through Tete Rouge, when the engine went, and that was the start of what became the end yep. of that effort. But actually the day for me was that astounding day uh, in 2012, when they pulled the plug. And we were at the dawn of the FI World Endurance Championship. You said you were looking for a positive. I, I was, but they're the two particular standouts. The, 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 look, I was. I think I was at every race that Peugeot contested with the 908, mm. with maybe one exception, uh, and it was an astonishing piece of kit. It yep. was a delight to see that level of performance delivered in the way they did. But somehow it's the drama, the journalistics of it, it's the drama. It's not the fact that it's a downside. It was the day they pulled the plug. Drivers were en route to that test. Yep. It's taken this the long time to get to the stage where we even understood which drivers were on the way to that test. Yep. Um, and the team were already there. And you, you can only imagine what that must have been like. Well, right. I was trying to sort my Esther. Yeah. Yep. And I was trying to get, desperately trying to get in touch with the team and say, you know, well, what do I do? It's, we're literally... Yeah. We're days away now, like or weeks away from from heading out there. Uh, what shall I do? And it was just radio silence. I thought yeah, something's not right here. I mean, I was contracted on a on a two year deal for the 2011 and 2012 season yeah. with the team, and um, so yeah, it's still, all things were fine. I had a great 2011 season. Uh, won my last race with them in in Zuhai, and yeah, I mean, it's complete a complete shock, but. There's quite a lot of negativity, and I was joking before about the, 20, the 2009 season. My fondest memory, I think, uh, was being able to drive. And they did quite a, quite a strange thing, Poach, quite a unique thing. They made, and you're probably aware, both of you, the B-plus car, the two-seater. Peugeot used to run the 908 as a fully-fledged two-seater LMP1 car. I have no idea. Right. Well, this, this is why it's a, a brilliant memory for me. It was the same car that you could do the same lap times, and actually, it was my first ever test with Peugeot. It was in two thousand eight at Paul Ricard, and uh, Sebastian Loeb was there as well. We both drove on the same day in that car, and that was the B plus car. Um, we were doing similar lap times compared to the other car that was there that was doing an endurance test with Montagny and Alex Hurst and regular car crew. So 
same performance, but you could put a passenger next to you. And they did. And they had a sponsor day in 2011, where I was part of that, it was me and Nick Manassian. They had two B plus cars. We put all of the sponsors, all of their prestigious sponsors. This is sponsors. an older X or an older No, this is the 908 V8 diesel. Oh right, the V8, not yep. the V12. The V8 diesel, I think, by this point, which is you know, similar before. I oh, think yeah, it was yeah, even yeah, faster yeah, yeah. in that time than the V12 car. Um, and yeah, incredible performance. Maybe it was the V12, I 2000, what did I say, it was yeah, 2011. Yeah, I th I'm pretty sure it was the V8 car. And so we, we had, um, it was just the best experience ever because suddenly these feelings that only a racing driver feels, at flat out speed, because your seat position was uncompromised by having somebody next to you, and the visibility was uncompromised for your passenger, yep. like you usually get in a, in a single-seater, two-seater, uh, single-seater, two-seater, you know, I mean, a Formula mm -hmm. car, yep. that's a two-seater, where you sit behind the, the driver and the, your visibility is completely compromised. This wasn't. They had the same view as you, and you gave it everything you had. So and I did it. So you, your, your sensations of driving the car are abject terror and the certainty that you're going to die, because that's what your passengers would have felt. But we don't feel like that when we drive. Like, to us, it's a, it's, a calmer, it's a calm experience. I was just, for once, imagine you two sit in the car with me. Wouldn't you love it? And I just felt, it was, as a selfless experience, yeah. to be able to give that to somebody else, yeah. to share what I feel was amazing. And I've never will, been able to do that again. I will repeat to you what I've said to others when they're asked, have you ever driven a race car? Blah, blah, blah. The answer is, I have driven a few race cars, I tend not to, and I tend not to, for two reasons. One is, I have absolutely no talent, and I have no fear. When I'm in, the, in, the, in the hands of a professional race driver, I am entirely confident. Mm -hmm. I genuinely am. It no, I understand it. It doesn't scare me. And yes, that's, that's the drug I'd like to mainline. It's mind. your dream to do it, yeah. I'd love and, to do it. My, 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 I've said before on this podcast, I mean, my absolute dream, I came very close to doing it, is a proper world rally car with a proper driver on the forest stage. Now I did a rally three. You know what? I've, I've wanted Mil exactly Mil the same. I crave the same thing. Yeah, and, and, and I would not want to drive the rally car. No, I want to be a passenger with the pro showing 100%. me what they do. Yeah, Matt Wilson was good enough to take me around their forest stage uh, sports earlier this year in a rally three car, and that was pretty darn good. And then they explain the. Uh, the acceleration of performance as you go up that ladder. Mm. It's basically, two, I think they say, two seconds per kilometre, rally one, rally two, rally three, rally four, rally five. So, you know, between rally five and rally one, it's 10 seconds quicker per kilometre, is what that, the general rule of thumb is. A rally three car was eye opening, and it gave you a window into what it would be like two steps up from that. And it felt pretty committed to me. Yeah. Um, it, massive fun, massive, massive fun. There you go. So they're the three. One more on Peugeot before we move on. And that is, again, actually one from Ewan who says, given that Peugeot, uh, and I'm looking at you now, Martin, I've copied the Jota approach of near-identical liveries. <laughs> Which colour should they paint one of the cars overnight so we can tell them apart? Uh, Ewan says, hashtag me personally, one of my hashtags, uh, he'd love to see a white group see throwback Peugeot, the old Peugeot Talbot. Yeah. White, white with Peugeot sport colours on it, that would work 
but actually just anything that makes a, a significant difference. And yeah, we whinge on about it, and I said this earlier, because we have microphones and we have the forum to whinge on about it, mm -hmm. and the teams roundly ignore us. But genuinely, the fans struggle to tell the difference as well. If it's on TV and we yep. can't tell the difference and we see them all day, every day, then how are the fans supposed to? And it might not matter to the teams that the fans can't tell which Peugeot is a Peugeot because they can still do still tell that Persia is a Persia. Yeah. Probably matters to the drivers. Okay. Um, which is why I'm, you know, I'm always badgering Antonio Felix da Costa and saying that if you don't make them make the cars uh, every, uh, you know, different... Every issue is your issue. It, we will always blame you. And, and Anthony, you, you've got personal experience of that from last season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think this is this is a trend that should continue. If I, I think it's a good game to play, blaming Antonio Felix Acosta for everything. For the, Every, yeah, yeah. Well, for the good or the bad, just he, he gets he gets praised <laughs> or, or, or negative. I think we all know him well enough to know how calmly you'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> he will laugh his socks off as, as he always does. But last year, yeah. seriously, you were penalised for something that the other Jota car could do, and then we could tell the difference. So I saw in the distance. Uh, I think it was Tom Bonfist who sideswiped the Alpine on the way up towards Eau Rouge, or way down towards Eau Rouge. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's a, that's a big old moment there. I wonder if he'll get away with that. Both cars did physically get away with it. A few laps later, Tom had pitted, and I get a black and white flag. And I'm thinking, what's that for? I see it as I come out of the last corner, I hadn't done anything for once. And, uh, and I get a black and white flag, and I come straight on the radio and say, hey, I've just seen car 38, got a black and white flag. What's all that about? What have we done? And uh, my engineer came and said, oh, no, no, nothing to worry about. It, it's all okay. That's all he said. Yeah. So I'm still thinking, well, I've definitely received a black and white flag so that I must, we must have done something, but we've got away with it. Turns out the race director saw the side swipe going to a route, thought it was my car and gave me the, the black and white flag yeah. instead of uh, the 28 car. Yeah. So even they're getting it wrong and yeah. getting confused. So all you need is just, like you say, one distinguishing factor on the car, that just like the roll hoop camera in Formula One. One's yellow, one's black. That's this, all you need. Something this, high up that's easy to see. Now there are no open cars by law. Mm. Yep. Every car's got a roof. I'm yep. sorry, NASCAR numbers, they work for a reason. Because wherever you are, up in row 196, I mean, you know how high it is at the top of that grandstand at Eau Rouge, <laughs> when you're looking down, or if you're at top of the grandstand at Silverstone, looking down, or you're top of the grandstand here, looking down at Ascari, if it's got a big number on the roof, you can read the number, and then you can look on your entry list and see who it is. I think Porsche had the best solution when they did LMP1. The two cars had different strips of LED lights. One was purple and one was red or something, or yeah. one was blue, one was red. But the fans and have to know that. Yeah. Every single fan can read a number. and it, and. Numbers are universal. They don't mistranslate in other languages. They're not in a script that half the audience won't be able to read. They're numbers. Why do you get penalised in this category of racing when your side light number panel stops working? Timing scoring. And, and also for the observation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, observation. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we are, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a kind of a bone of contention, and I simply don't understand why we don't do it, but. And it may be a commercial thing, but it's sort of time. Who's got a sponsor on the roof? Rumi Rank. We need that in these cars yeah. because that way you know which car it is, you know which driver it is, and yeah. then give them time. And this is a world championship, and we should be trying more to help people to access it. We, we all agree this with this more and better 
and more free as this massive commercial interest is coming in it's time we focus that on opening the doors to more it's the time to do it this mm. is the proving ground now right. I mean, you know eyes are on this sport yep. but it's definitely going to grow yep. and now's the time for everybody to start to chip in ideas and, f- and, and perfect it before yep. all eyes are on where it. are the 5, 10, 15, 50 great ideas that are going to carry this forward and, and to maintain that momentum that's what you need you need people to want to not go to the shopping mall uh, to not go to whatever else it is they're doing on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon, to either tune in on the TV or come along to a fantastic circuit like this and watch the race. As much as we love the technology involved in motor racing, it's great and it definitely has its place. It's definitely more about the personalities behind the wheel. Yeah. I'm not just saying that because I'm an ex-driver. You're a massive personality. Massive. <laughs> if, you can, if you look at what's happened to with Drive to Survive, for example, yes. Formula yeah. One, yeah. Why? Why is it successful? It's not about the technology no, it's about that, that, that's infused people around the world. It's the personalities having grudge matches against each other and it's bringing these personalities to life. If we can do that in sports car racing, rather than it just being a closed car, one car versus another, is there someone in that car? Yeah. And, and someone with a good personality that's fighting the other and we've got to bring that to life. We've got to toe in the water. At least know who it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good starting point. We've got point. to in the water with the WC Full Access YouTube program. That, I think, needs more push behind it. Very high quality effort. Come up with some really interesting stuff. I mean, the, the footage they got as um, Lopez had his big shots at Sebring, the immediate reaction from the team members to that drama mm-hmm. happening. Um, the, yeah, that, it's a part of the sport that people don't see. We yeah. don't see that. Yeah. And it is that thing about being able to open doors. And we're really lucky to be in a part of the sport that where we do get very good access. You know, we, get, we are welcomed into most garages. Um, if we ask a question, we generally get a fairly straight answer. It may not always be the welcome answer, but we'll, we'll get a straight answer. I think it's now is the time. I think you're absolutely right for that. And uh, I'll just wake this thing back up. To move on from um, Peugeot, let's move on to another car one of two cars that have actually made their debuts uh, up there and testing this week. One is the Cadillac, we'll maybe get to that a little bit later. The other one is the Ferrari. The Ferrari is exclusively for the moment coming to the WC, so it's a good place for us to talk about this. We've seen their teaser picture, and they've issued that to be clear because they know the very second they put anything new on Fiorano, the same 55 people will get the same 55 step ladders out the garage and all of a sudden be all over the web. So that's why they've done it. It is, well, I'll ask you first then, your reaction to what we've seen from that car. Well, first of all, it's very social media and new age savvy from Ferrari to know, like you say, you put a new car on the track, you ain't hiding anything. So they're, they're, they're kind of preempted that exposure and the way that social media is, in a way, revolutionized media now. And I, I think that's very on, you know, not ahead of the time, but it's, 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 it's the right thing to do. Yep. Um, and they've understood the market very well. So look, everybody's excited. It's Ferrari coming to yep. the world of sports car racing again. Uh, it's great news. And I think because of that iconic name, that iconic badge coming to WEC, I just feel like, well, this is it. These are the floodgates are open, yeah. and more will definitely come as a result of that. 
uh, you know, it's fantastic having Peugeot here and Toyota, you know, Glickenhaus as well, yeah. but not a, not a huge OEM like Ferrari. And it's, it's massive news. Porsche as well, but Porsche and Ferrari fighting it out on track. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? And we look back to the, the glory days of Ford versus Ferrari, even made a movie out of it, for goodness sake. You know, we could be getting into those realms once again, and I think we will be. Um, so it'd be, it's massive news. The car itself, yeah, you know, only seen a few shots of it with its uh, funky livery that they put on to try and hide all the little intricate parts, the little details uh, in camo. But, um, you know, it's quite a big car, a little bit Glickenhausy in, in some ways, uh, with a huge rear wing, end plate. Double plate. Double plate, yeah. yeah. But um, things can change, of course, before the car really hits the track in but, anger. And the other thing is, it's like test shots of road cars, is that they will have body panels yes. from other cars bolted onto a test wheel, and they will and they will have absolutely, because what they're doing at Fiorano is not high-speed testing. Fiorano is a short, narrow, twisty circuit. What they're doing is running the systems, and, and it will be all the grubby bits, which are hidden under a cobbled-up body. The team told us yesterday, it will be visually very much a Ferrari. In a, in a, in a pre-event press conference, when you see the front of it, you will never have any question that that's a Ferrari. So the current Ferrari road language will be, exactly as we've seen on the Peugeot, will be all over that car. And, this and is, so guess, don't expect it necessarily to come with an enormous wing or, a, or you know, looking like a Batmobile or anything that you are ascertaining from the, from the shots we've seen so far. You know, they, they tested the MG Metro 6R4 rally car in a standard Metro without big arches or anything else to get the engine running, to get all of the transmission running. They tested sure. it in road cars. And so it's not, it's not going to look like that. It's not going to look like that. The wheelbase may be the same. All of those elements may be the same, but the sort of low side pods and the sort of slightly BRM Group C sort of fall over look to it a little bit. It, is probably never going to be a car that we see. But the thing about Ferrari is, I didn't, that was the one story that I thought, if any of these are going to evaporate, that's the one that's not going to happen. That's definitely, it's, I thought exactly until you thing. see a car running and actually, okay, I, now I'm believing it, but really until you see it in a paddock, you're going, they, play games with things that they're going Politics. to do. We all remember the Ferrari yeah. IndyCar program, yeah. yada, yada, yada. But, again, you said, you know, we talked about this before. Ferrari versus Porsche, those are two teams that have always raced for their entire history since day one, always raced, and predominantly, up until the late 70s, always raced sports cars as well in Ferrari's case. Ferrari, sports cars was more important to Enzo Ferrari for a long while than Formula One was. And equally important, you know, into into the late seventies. So is the beauty it's, of hypercar. It's so enormous. The beauty them. of hypercar is that it allows the team, like they say, to aesthetically make the car mm. look like a road car. Mm. Yeah. And you can still fit all those downforce parameters that yeah. I talked about and go racing the yeah. Toyota and the Peugeot that all look so different from yeah. each other. And I, th I really think that's where hypercar works. And the LMDH, obviously, like the Porsche have gone down that route, and BMW and Cadillac, it's a different route, but they all fit those same parameters uh, in a common chassis, though. There's another interesting thing. We, uh, 
the media launch for the 9x8, which happened at Portimao in May, and they gave us access to a whole range of people, excellent uh, media day there. One of them, and it's the, it's the kind of people we don't speak to often enough, was Linda Jackson. If you don't know who Linda is, Linda is the, I think Linda's early 60s, English lady, started a career with Rover, uh, was for many years the CEO of Citroen, and from last year became the CEO of Persia. So an OEM businesswoman. And one of the questions I asked Linda was, who do you most want to beat? Do you most want to beat the manufacturers like Toyota, who are in your space in the marketplace, or do you most want to be Ferrari and Porsche, who are these massive international brands that, that clearly displays if you beat them, you're up against the absolute best for people that don't understand motorsport. And she, she didn't actually give me a clear answer, but you think through that, that is that's an intriguing thing, isn't it, about where we are. You've got, you've got all sorts of brands in all sorts of different parts of the automotive marketplace. Mm. I agree, by the way, that the, that the Ferrari is the one that, if anything was going to be politically flaky, it would always be Ferrari. Sorry, Ferrari. Uh, but as well as which, you've got all those pressures economically that have come with the looming international financial crisis post-COVID. Uh, and it's great to see that out there. I am, with what we've seen at the moment, marginally underwhelmed. Marginally, okay? But we've not, as Martin quite rightly says, seen the race cars that are meant to be presented mm -hmm. yet. And there are some extremely clever people um, at Marinello. Yeah. And I have zero doubt that that will become, when you see that as a completed product, that's gonna be one of those cars that will be on posters on bedroom walls of boys and girls globally yeah. once that car. The other intriguing thing from this announcement or, or from what we've seen happening at Fiorano driver-wise is that they put uh, Pierre Guidi in behind yeah. the wheel. Mm. I think this is, a, this is a nice touch from the manufacturers that competed in GT Pro yeah. because though that category is going to go. Um, I think it's a nice touch that they're putting in their known quantities of, of, of drivers into and giving them the blessing to not just test the cars, but to go on and race them as yeah. well. Yeah. Porsche are doing it. It looks like Ferrari are going that route as well. Brilliant to see that all of that trust, that investment that they've put into their younger drivers and their young driver program are now getting rewarded. Yeah. And uh, I think that's great. Audi did it in the past, mm -hmm. and we're seeing you know the, these, uh, these manufacturers Porsche's doing it as well. Porsche's doing that too with the other DHM. Day two, by the way, we know now the car principally because obviously most of the factory drivers are racing here this weekend. But uh, Andrea Bertolini, who I think is the man on the planet in history that's driven more for our race cars than the other. He always shakes down a new Ferrari. And David Regon has been given some time uh, in the car. Uh, but little doubt in my mind, we're going to see a blend of their current GT talent, perhaps, maybe, some of the academy guys will get a shot to have a look. You might even get to, into the realms of the first time ever that there's actually, that there are more seats than drivers yeah. worthy enough yeah. to drive those cars. Well, bear in mind, this is two cars for the moment. For the moment. Yeah. They're only building two cars for 2023. And by the way, to answer a question that's been asked here by Nick Deckweiler, does Ferrari have any interest in putting the LMH in IMSA? They solely focus on WC Le Mans. Year one, absolutely, it's WC in Le Mans. Beyond that, little doubt that they'll be looking at ticks and boxes. I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona added to that programme. 
not in year one. Year one is going to be very, for no other reason, it gives them an extra three or four months to prove that car and to homologate that car. There's less pressure. To try and win them on. To try and win, to try Which and win. is target number one. You know, they, that, and, and actually, for the American brands as well, winning them on is still going to translate Huge. hugely. Is North America a big market Ferrari? Let me just, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, and, and will the Ferrari imports in North America? But yes. Look, so and will the fans? Yes. What, so what, yes, 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 what? yes, yes. You will see them in North America. As yes. with every one of these programs that's not currently on track, and including some of the programs that are on track, there is more we don't know than we do know. Sure. We don't know who the drivers are going to be for that car. We do know, of course, we're going to run a two-car factory effort in the WC full season next year. We don't know what the plans are beyond that for that factory team, and it is very firmly a factory team. Neither did we know if they're going to build any more than two cars. We don't know whether or not they're going to have the customer route. We don't know that. Um, and we don't know that, by the way, about very many of these other cars. Yeah, There's an intention to do it. We don't know what those cars would cost. We know what a Porsche costs now. Do we know if... Um Ferrari will compete in GT3 as well. Uh, we know so, that their customers will. Yeah. So the, the first of those customer cars uh, talked to Chetelar Racing, Roberto Lacorte at Sebring. I'm just trying uh, to build a picture of where the finances might be going. Because obviously it's a huge program. Yeah. GT Pro. Yes. Those cars are magical. Yes. They are like prototypes, yes. basically. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, not, they're not a GT3 car, are they? No, the GT3 cars, I think what you'll find there is it's going to be the favourite customers that get those cars early and we talk to a couple of teams who know they're on that list and then you'll find where that divide comes in terms of where the driving squads are going to go and that's going to be quite a tough day for somebody to well, one, sorry Graham, what I'm trying to get to is sure. that financially speaking their budgets that they've been putting into pumping into that GTE Pro uh, programme yes is it do you reckon there'd be similar kind of finances, more as for, a, as for a, hypercar than than GT Pro? It's definitely more. I mean, to give, I mean, I mean, but the, it can't be a huge amount well, more because GT, those you know, the they're, they're expensive cars. The figures yeah. I can chuck into the mix of this: we know that the Porsche LMDH car is retailing for two point nine million. Okay, we know that the running That's high. I'm yes. surprised. You can buy a Glicken house for 2.5 million. Okay? The running cost of the Peugeot, I am told, for a full WC season, and by that I mean not six races, is around the 5.5 million mark. But that figure was fielded before we started to see the accelerations in the logistics and fuel costs, for instance. So, then to perspective, the, an LMP2 car is 500,000 without uh, engine um, euros, uh, and then on top of that, um, my, the, 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 it's a little bit out of date, but if you think around the three and a half to four million for a well run car, you're not far wrong, really. Um, oh, the it, budget to run it, yes, yeah, no, so you're, you're so right. It's yeah, a it substantial that. acceleration in terms of the running costs, and it's a massive acceleration for the car costs. Um, and, you know, so it's not like they're just stopping one program no. and then using that money no. to do another. So they are actually investing more they have to. at Maranello than, than, than they, they currently are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news is that some of the budget that might otherwise have gone on Formula One no longer can go on Formula One. That's a very good point. And that was always capped at 140 million euros, sorry, or dollars, mm -hmm. 140 million dollars uh, for this season in NF1 and next year. 
and they were spending in excess of 300. And what's so the, it's a very good point. What's the biggest thing they don't want to give up is their talent. They don't want talent from Formula One to go to one of their competitors. Yeah. So what do you want to do? You want to spend that money winning something worthwhile, keep the people you want in the family and wait for the world to reset again. That, that, I think, is why we've, we've got, there's two reasons why. All the reasons we've said that hypercar is a good formula, and the second reason is that they don't want the guy down from their, you know, CFD sh uh, shop walking out. You're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it. I should have done, it's a budget cap in Formula One, and therefore your personnel eat into that budget they cap. If they're not marketing, yep. or PR or marketing, if they're, if they're performance related. So you can basically now be having a, in inverted commas, engineer for the hypercar category, yep. getting paid from a completely different set of books. You can, uh, in theory, but actually, Martins, that is a different budget. That, yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah. also working on a Formula One in front wing but, and plate. But, but here's the cheeky thing is this. So where's the Red Bull hypercar? Look at it in a different way. Look at it in a different way. For okay. the same money, yeah. you can have more exposure. Yes. Because you're dealing with a completely different marketplace in sports car racing, completely different races, completely different... There's all sorts of ways in which that makes sense. If you've got the budget, and that budget has not been removed for whatever reason, then all of a sudden, you're not just spending it on Formula One, you could do, in the case of this, we could do um, Hypercar, you could do GT3 if that's what you wanted to do, if there's an opportunity to do something factory-wise. Well, they, they will still build GT3 cars because all of their customers will still want to race them. They'll want to race them in... That's their in, bread and in, butter. In, yeah. Exactly, I mean, that, that it, it's... A small revenue stream, but it's a not insignificant revenue stream, and it means again that Ferrari could win Le Mans without the factory team actually having anything to do with Look it. Look at what McLaren are doing in terms of diversification. Now, no doubt in my mind, at least in part, that's for the same reasons, and it's also one of the reasons why the prospects of them adding an LMDH program are absolutely not off the table, 100% not off the table. Is it imminent? Are we going to hear next week? No, we're not. No. But trust me, there are irons in the fire about how that program might be funded and might look. And there's no reason to doubt it's not exactly the same reasons. Well, well hang on a minute. Let's let's look at this. There's Zach Brown in McLaren yep. in the Formula One paddock in two years' time. Who in that paddock will also be going to Le Mans? And you can guarantee by that stage that F1 won't clash. There will be people from Porsche who will be in Formula One by that stage going to Mon. There'll be people from Ferrari who will be going to Mon. There'll be people from Alpine who will be going to Le Mans. That's just the first three that come off the top of my head. You know, we're getting to the stage where, possibly, you know, possibly in terms of either engine suppliers or, or actual teams, maybe half the Formula One teams will have a parallel Le Mans program. And once you start to get to that, then without wishing to be facetious, people will go, well, well Rebel car, they're not a manufacturer. Hello, the Glickenhaus is not a road, you don't have to be a road manufacturer. Hypercar is, what have you got? Bring it in. Yeah. McLaren could bring, a, a, a Red Bull could bring, Alfa Romeo could, anybody could bring a car exactly the same way that Jim Glickenhaus has, by starting with a piece of A4 and going, 
what's it going to look like? Well, let's deal with one of those because a couple of questions I'll take these because it's something that I'm not going to chuck your way. Uh, it's, it's a story I've been kind of trying to work on for the last two or three months. It's Soto Fushimi, okay? Mm. Um, and it's a story we've written. Go on, Ant's going, I have no idea what oh. you're doing. <laughs> I'm politely nodding along. Fine. A couple of questions. Two one from Evan, uh, Evan underscore TWT, and one from. That is Cock at your car. It's not easy for me. That's me not every time. That'll come out in the end. Don't worry. <laughs> so basically, both questions are around the same thing. So to explain for those of you who haven't read the stories, plural, on Denny Sports Car, absolutely convinced we've got a live uh, LMH program underway at the moment uh, for a clean sheet build. Um, Michelotto doing the design engineering and construction. I believe Williams have done the aero bodywork on the car. There is uh, an engine installed in the car, in build, right now, wow. uh, and I believe that is from a German OEM. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that it's badged with them, uh, but it's sort of a shimmy, uh, uh, make that most people will never have heard of. It's uh, heyday was in the twenties, finished in the forties, fifties, built yeah. trucks as well as cars has been bought by a Croatian entrepreneur who is uh, building, establishing factories in Bologna and in Modena to build and market um, bespoke EVs, high quality EVs, uh, under that brand name. And it appears that that brand name's marketing strategy is based not least around entering the FI World Insurance Championship. So the two questions. Um, are they targeting a Le Mans entry in 2023? Is it too early to say? What does the Sotto Fraschini mean for Clickenhouse? It means nothing for Clickenhouse. Jim Clickenhouse will decide, based on the commercial realities, what he's going to do or not. His intention, expressed to me as recently as Goodwood Festival of Speed, is that he is talking to the FI World Endurance Championship about Le Mans next year and potentially a part season. That would require a change in regulations, and I think that's probably a smart move if they do that, is the honest answer. Um, Evan says, how likely is it we'll see the car at the start of the season? Is there any further information about who will provide the engine? No. And whether they'll have a hybrid? The fact that it's an EV builder, I'm pretty certain that's a hybrid car. Uh, absolutely, they are targeting 2023. I think they're up against it. Um, the car is partially in build. Uh, don't, there's certainly not any proving work being done on the homologation as yet information is very limited uh, i have reached out to the company i've had no response to, the, uh, to those um, those messages but do i think this is a serious project yes i want someone is spending very significant amounts of money to this point michelotto will not pick up a spanner without a check being signed or money being transferred and i'm pretty certain the same goes for williams advanced engineering as well you would think, definitely. You'd think. Yeah, so, no question. Yes, it's real. Yes, they are looking towards 2023. Can we confirm that it will make it? No, we can't. But the the parallel point here is, should the WEC do that deal with Jim Glick and House for part season, that massively helps us out of Rashini. But it also helps everybody who, in the way that Peugeot have, don't necessarily want to bring a brand new car to have to rush it into combat before it's ready and to say make Le Mans their first race, yeah. it allows them to do a, a significant test program and then get a racing program right and then hit the ground running at the beginning, at the beginning of a full season. Now you you know you can always say, well, if you can't do any of if you can't do all of them, you can't do any of them. 
that's not that's not the, that's not the hypercar ethos. The hypercar ethos is not well. You haven't got one of those. You can't play. So I think I think that would really work with hypercar. You know, it's not like GT3. It's not like all those cars already exist. None of these cars already exist. None of the foundations of any of these cars already exist, except in somebody's crazed head yeah. or, on a, or on a CAD system. So allowing flexibility with people to come in and start a program and, and join the family and find their feet before they really try and win races and win Le Mans, I think is, or, or Daytona or Sebring, is entirely sensible. And I'm sure that, that IMSA will want to be able to do that in their championship. And if the WEC don't, mm -hmm. then suddenly you've got a much more welcoming open arm policy in, in IMSA. So I think that would be a really nice way of going about it. For the fans like me listening to this podcast who have no idea what you're just talking about, yeah. can you simplify it please for racing driver speak? Uh, as in what's going on? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it a hypercar? It's a hypercar. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a Le Mans hypercar. I take it it's an old manufacturer? It's, yeah. a, it's an old brand that's been bought by a new company. Okay. So this is a, it's basically a boutique manufacturer that is looking to get into racing. It's like same. a Pagani or something. Right? Yes, so, yeah, yes, okay. yes. Right. The difference here is it's, it's electric vehicles that they're building. Yeah, gotcha. So they're danger. targeting hypercar, yes. not LMDH. No. It's going to be a, a proper hypercar. It's, it's a, a bespoke chassis. Yeah, a bespoke yeah. car. Yeah. Um, and they're teaming up with Williams Advanced Williams Engineering. Williams Advanced Engineering have done, as I understand it, the aero, the bodywork, and Michelotto, our design engineering, and building the car, and the car is inbuilt. And the latest little got it. It's big names. It's ticking boxes. Isotta, yeah. for those who aren't into farty old cars, nineteen um, thirties, extremely luxurious. Nineteen thirties. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was their hair day. The, the same, the same as Ispano Suiza. Huge, hugely stylistic, absolutely gorgeous bodywork. Really, absolutely Hollywood superstar. You know, minor royal family. That kind of stuff. Uh, crown heads of Europe. That's the sort of market right, gotcha. that originally kind of Isotta. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your standard. Just like the transporter. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, Ispano Suiza is another one of those nineteen thirties exclusive brands that has that has reappeared. You know, much in the same way that Bugatti did in the eighties. Absolutely. We're going to move quickly on and, and come. Yeah, we've got five questions. minutes. How much? Five. Till we back on air. No, no, no. Until we run out of hour. Fair enough. Uh, let's go through another few. Uh, ben at Ben Wiltshire says, oh, it's first time call. Well, hello, Ben. Long time, Mr. Um, absolutely. Is there any news uh, regards and drivers possibly competing in the new top class? Could we see a Francois Perot or a Ben Keating putting in an MDH or MH entries? I don't see that immediately. There is no published plan for a Pro-Am hypercar class. I think the inevitability is if this beds in as well as it could do yeah. that might come but i don't see that in the first couple of years you, it will definitely it. whet the appetite though yeah good oh yes silver say am drivers multi, from multi yes yes exactly people that think all oh, these cars look a bit tasty yeah. lmp2s are a little bit dialed down now yeah. um a little bit suffocated from what they used to be able to how they how they used to perform yeah. you know less power they're restricted now to the Le Mans downforce only, so they're not quite the car they used to be. It might be a really nice idea for a for a AM driver who is good, yeah. good enough well, to, look, to want to compete right at the shop. We've seen the step up 
and the ambition from a team like Jota, who have plied their trade right at the top of LMP2. And there's been the glass ceiling, because yes. you needed a manufacturer. Now they've got manufacturer deal. Boom, they're making the step up. And again, you know, as you said, really good gentleman drivers, you know, the Francois Perodas, the Roberto Gonzalez of this world, that caliber of driver could well. I mean, and that's that's the thing that made Group C so successful. It's not two Rothmans Porsches. Yep. It's it's not Derek Bell and Jackie Yates and, and Hanstuck and Joachim Mas and, and Stefan Bell. It's not those two cars. It's the sea of others. It's the <clears throat> the Kenwood Porsches, the Obermeyer Porsches, the Brum Porsches, the Kramer Porsches, the 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 the. the. You could turn up, and the same you can with GT3, you could turn up and give them a check and take away a racing car. Yeah. That could Understood. win. That could win. And that's the appeal, and, I think, for these drivers. And lots of those teams, Yost and all the others, had Stanley Dickens. Yeah. The mon winner with Yost, gentleman driver. Absolutely, as this evolves and generates, with, with the ability to, if, if the ability to buy customer cars like that happens, Absolutely, you will see it happen. So, first couple of years. Hmm? Was he stout, no? But he was a gentleman driver. Yeah, I thought you said yes. Yeah. But he raced horses as well. Yeah, Okay, didn't win, didn't win the Mongol years, Porsche, maybe not. Okay. Um, there's one question I've just spotted, which is going to be a bit of a giggle, which is going to be our yeah, final question guys. at the moment. Um, let's have a look. Nick Deckvala says, what's it like if WRT gets a top of a prototype program? BMW, Lambo, or other. I've no idea where this story about Lamborghini with WRT came from, but it's nonsense. But BMW, I think, is a strong possibility. It's almost a racing certainty. They are too good, and there yeah. are too many brands and new cars arriving that they, if they get overlooked, it would be criminal. Well, I think yeah, there's no doubt in my mind BMW are looking for a 2024 partner for WEC. That's a, that's a given now. Mm. Um, we're not going to see them, I don't think, in 2023, but 2024, with that car, but it will come. And you've got to say, on a very short list of current WC protagonists, why would you look elsewhere? Mm -hmm. um, WRT are very much on that extremely short list of maybe two or maybe three. Well, you know, teams of that calibre and Prema, yeah. another, you know, brand, brand new to the championship this year, but boy, with the history they've got, you know, like WRT did last year, new to all of this. Yeah. Hit the ground running and are you know super competitive. Yes, they've got the same kit as everybody else, but they don't know how to make it work, yep. which everybody else does. And, and and you know and that's a great indication that they are getting their foot in, dipping their toe in the water, going right. Let's see if we can do this. Can we do this? Yes, we can. Right now, let's go and hunt a deal. Yeah. Massively rapid answer to James Counter. He says his uh, rumours published by BBC Top Top Gear. Alpine are looking at a hydrogen rule set. Does that mean no MDH from them? No, it doesn't. It's a five-year rule set for MDH. It gives them the opportunity to build customer cars. They have recommitted to this rule set for hydrogen for 2025. I'll be blunt, I'm expecting that to be delayed. Um, and I don't believe that that means no LMDH. LMDH will happen for LP. No doubt in my mind whatsoever about that. Uh, Stuart Hart, one of the prospects for Silverstone being added to, be, to the FIWC calendar in 2024. There's lots of other bits and pieces here. I, we, are, we know there's going to be an additional race next year. I believe it's going to be another race in Europe. I believe it might be another pre-Le Mans race. And I'm pretty certain it's not Silverstone for 2023. Uh, do I think there's a prospect for Silverstone to be joining thereafter? Yes, absolutely, I do. It needs sensible people 
sit down around the table and answer sensible questions with sensible answers. And yes, I'm looking at you, LMEM, and yes, I'm looking at you, Silverstone. It needs to get done uh, because otherwise it's a huge miss. And I know how much our listeners and the fans out there in the UK have been missing their sports coverage. It came. Put simply, it has to be worthwhile financially for Silverstone. It does. Yes. It's a a massively successful circuit. It's busy almost 365 days a year. It has to be. It has to make, has to make sense. sense financially for the, t- yeah. for the for and the. And now we're in an era where all of a sudden the kind of activation that could come with it might make a difference. Exactly. Mm. It hasn't in the past. Yep. Yeah. It might do in the future. I think that's completely correct. It, it, I think it's only fair. You yeah. you can't begrudge them for that. No, no, no it's absolutely. A business. No, it's it's they, a privately owned business. They've got to survive. The BRDC, came, they have to survive. Came into sharp focus for me actually a few weekends ago when a late call to do a brick car race. For, for their streaming service. And I've, I'm pretty certain, with the possible exception of one off, not sure which order they came in, British GT race, that's the first time I have commentated at a UK race since the last time Wet visited, which was, I think, 18? Yeah. Which, that doesn't seem great to me moving forward. Anyway. Well, listen, I mean, it, it needs footfall, it needs people yep. to come in the door. I can remember going to Silverstone six hours during the Group C era and the place was heaving. Brands Hats likewise, because of all the names that were there, because of all the homegrown names, but all the big manufacturer names. If a WEC race came to Silverstone in 2024 with Toyota, Glickenhaus, Peugeot, Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Alpine, BMW. Yeah. That, that, that's that point. those those are banner headlines Bonkers. that that Bonkers. you know that will draw people in but also it has and to be marketed yes, properly yeah. that's, that is, a that's the crux of it it we, we've raced there multiple times before in the past and i've been still somewhere we've had around 30,000 40,000 yep. push fans coming for the weekend not bad on, on race day it's, it's, it's not a bad level but it needs to be more than that yeah. and the only way you're going to get more than that is to get the message out there yeah, a big push i mean le mans stands alone it, yeah. it's, it's like the indy 500 it, mm. it, it it doesn't need any marketing it's self-promoting in that fact in that matter mm. so but other races in the WEC do need promotion and you see other countries do it better than others um, other series do it better than others but I know that the fan base is there in the UK and I know I believe in this championship I know how good it is um, as a commentator as first-hand experience as a driver I know the joy it can bring people to watch WEC in action and it's just it, it, it's annoying that it's like it hasn't been tapped into yet properly from a fan's perspective yeah. Do you know because what? I can tell you, you go to a WEC event and it is absolutely as enjoyable, maybe from the circuit, more enjoyable than watching a Formula 1 race as a punter, yeah. turning up to the track in the grandstands. There's more on offer, it's more accessible than Formula 1. It's and longer, it, there's it, more yeah, going on. There's, there's multiple yeah. classes racing each other. You get your eye yeah. in and, and it, the access is astonishing. It's family friendly, it's, it's brilliant and it pains me that we were going to Silverstone in the past, and you'd get what twenty thousand maximum in the in the latter years, like yeah. 2017, 2018. It's sad because you know what the feels, show is good. You know what feels Silverstone, Formula One, evidently, yeah. especially when you've got top British drivers, and you know the continued success of 
Lewis Hamilton Mercedes, but also the huge bump in exposure from the Netflix Drive to Survive series has, 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 has like, you know, it's, it's Mantlemania levels of, uh, I mean, beyond Mantlemania levels of, of, of interest. The other thing that I've ever seen fill Silverstone to what was then maximum capacity, World Series by Renault. Because they gave free access. Free tickets, as many as you want. Now, what happened then, obviously, was Renault rented the circuit from Silverstone. So Silverstone didn't have to pay for security, gate, you know, staff, I'm a believer, in, I'm a believer in wet people's appetite and they'll come back for more and maybe pay yeah, for it later on. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get them in. Get them in. Get them in. And bring the family and do all the things that Renault did, which is have the whole infield, like it is at the Grand Prix, full of bands and food and circus rides and simulators and tents full of things and stuff. I'll give you a great example of how short-sighted at times the circuits can be. It comes around my, my son, now in his 30s. There's been a motorsport nut since the very early years. I don't know how he got that, but you know, obviously he's osmosis. Um, and he wanted, I think it was his 11th birthday, he wanted to have his birthday party at Frank's Edge. The closest weekend to his birthday was a clubby. There was nothing happening in the, in the um, suites there and it was at the point before Jonathan Palmer put the um, the investment in that's made it look an awful lot but it, yes. it was a bit yeah. crappy to be honest. A bit run down. And I rang to investigate what could we do to just rent a suite and cater that ourselves and I can't immediately remember what the figure I was given. This was basically for my son, maybe 10 of his friends some of their uh, their uh, family members so tops you're talking 25 people in a suite a, a semi-furnished suite if you like at brands hatch for a clubby race meeting i can remember the cost i was quoted would have bought me a reasonable car at the time yeah with no catering and that they would only talk to you if you would allow them to cater at their rates and of course we didn't do it and what then happened was uh, when jonathan palmer bought into the MSV thing, I wrote to Jonathan and I relayed this the story and said, look, you know Jonathan as well as I do, that if we brought 10 children and their parents that had never been to a motor race before, three or four of them would have come back with their parents and their siblings and they'd probably have brought friends. You've got to find a way of growing that and if you're not doing that with that audience... Yeah, it's called cock to coffin marketing. It's mm. just mm. You know, madness and I believe they do now have at least some access at a reasonable price for you know if they've got space it's not yeah, but, it, but it's, it's not just yeah. circuits so it, it's yeah. it's the it's the championship it's the championship itself yeah. as well there needs to be compromise i yeah. think in year one if you're confident of your product and you really feel like you can race somewhere where where eyes will be on it yeah. knowledgeable proud base on a great circuit mm. I, I there has to be compromise put your egos aside for one year Try it. And, and try it. Give try it everything it. you've got. Market the hell out of it. Give it everything you can. Like you say, bring the razzmatazz to the circuit. If it still doesn't work, you tried. Yeah. Yeah. I've but I reckon it would work. I think if you sat down with all the manufacturers. The fact you've even got the one question come in saying, yeah. when's it coming back to Silverstone? Mm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've had this strand since they, they, they left. Mm. Every, I'd say every two or three I'd love weeks. it to happen. Yeah. But I think if you got those manufacturers together and laid a proposal on the table, things like what would it cost for the work that we're doing to be free to view? 
what would it cost? Uh, what would it cost to rent Silverstone? Okay, amongst the, the, the OEM partners that they're going to have, what would it cost? And see what you get back from What that would it cost to have two seater Peugeots whizzing fans Every around week. the track to but, give but them that's, experience that's part, you know what that's I mean? part yeah. of the activation for the manufacturers yeah. is to have that availability. Final, final thought on that. Years and years ago, the last year of the FIA GT Championship before it came GT1, the Eurosport German and English TV crews were on site at every race. Now, that never happened up until that stage. And I learned quite quickly in the season that all of the cost of it, travel hotels, technical fees, commentary booths, satellite, no, 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 were paid by Porsche and Mercedes. Yep. They paid for all, all of the Eurosport bills. Everything. And I was talking to the, I was talking to the guys at Mercedes at the end of the year. They won the championship, Porsche won the Mon, Scottish bloke, compared to somebody or other. Um, and, uh, tall, I don't And, yeah, quite tall. And um, I, was, I was talking to the Mercedes guys at the end of the year, and I said, okay, I, I understand completely why you have the German crew on site, because it's a big audience, it's your home audience, it's you versus Porsche, it's really important for the home audience. That the, that the German commentators really know everything. And I said, why on earth have you got us here? And he said, because you speak to everyone else. Because anyone who doesn't speak, you know, one of, at that stage, Eurosport was four languages, English, French, German, Dutch. Everybody, you know, if, you're, if you're in a bar in Malaysia, or if you're on a beach in, in I don't know, the TV would be in English. Eurosport right. would be in English. Yeah. And I said, oh, all right, okay, I, I sort of get that, but we'd have done it from the studio in London, they'd still have heard us. He said, yeah, but you wouldn't have had the information. No, okay, I understand, but what's in it for you? And they said, whether we win or lose is important, but the status of the championship that you win or don't win, even if you're contesting it and it's a close that's the key thing. That's why they were prepared to pay the TV budget because they wanted the status of the championship to be recognised. And yes, you go to the manufacturers and say, this is the budget that the TV costs. We're, at WEC, we're paying that. Okay. We would like to do this, that and the other. And to add value, we know you're going to have your own TV crews here. We know you're going to do your own social media stuff. We want to do championship stuff and we would like a contribution of this, that, you know, a certain percentage from each of you guys. Hopefully in many a ways. A lot of them will go yes. Well, hopefully in many ways, have just naturally having more OEMs here involved in this championship will help yeah. to push it in the right direction yes. and give it the exposure that it deserves. And they yeah. will, if they don't have it given to them, they will create it themselves. Porsche, Ferrari, all these manufacturers, Persian, everybody else, have got far more followers on social media than yes. all of us multiplied by a factor of I don't know how much. So yes, they will ramp up the awareness globally of this series as they're planning to come with Ferrari. Ferrari launch a new car, everybody on the planet knows they've launched a new car. Every single car blog on the planet will have those spy pictures that Ferrari supplied and every other glimmer of detail that comes from them, or BMW, or Cadillac, or whatever, will all go onto all these car blogs and constantly, the whole thing will mushroom before they even yeah, get here. It might be self-generating. Before okay. they even get here, everybody will know where they're coming. But it has to be a collaborative process. Yeah. What we've got to get away from is this attitude where every individual item in that jigsaw wants it to be all their exposure. 
that what you said about the, the state of a championship or a race, absolutely spot on. If we can get to the stage where they can work in the same way in terms of communicating about the championship as they fundamentally have done mm. on the rule set, then we've got something yeah. special to go. We're going to move on because I'm watching cameras moving and we're not going to be a million miles away before we're going to be going live for qualifying here. Uh, with one final question, it comes from another new name to me, Stein Passport. Uh, I don't know where Stein is from in the in the world. I'm and this one's going to go immediately to you and Davidson. How does one become a WC or other motorsport commentator? Commentator? Is it, is it essential that you've been uh, an FYWC world champion? Well, I think if you're there as a, um, <laughs> I mean, if you're, it is, I'm afraid to say, yes, you, you, yes. you get behind the wheel first. So it's just, it's yeah. just you and a few others. I, I mean, uh, seriously speaking, I wasn't trained to do this job at all. I never had any media training such, um, but I just found that I could articulate my feelings behind the wheel and did it in conjunction with driving in my Formula One days and just chipped away at it, worked at it over the I enjoyed it. That was the main thing. That's the thing that kept me coming back for more and could see that I could portray those feelings quite quite well, um, quite eloquently um, to debate. Like I was saying about driving a two-seater Peugeot, yeah. I got enjoyment from just airing my experiences, whether it was physically driving the car or talking about those experiences. A very it's an insular sport, really. It's, it's a selfish sport. It, 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 it's, it's something you can't share with anyone else, those feelings, apart from other other contemporary drivers that are in similar machinery to you, even on the day. And you, So that's one part of sports car racing I really enjoy, is just being able to talk about, on the same level, my experiences to other drivers around me. And if I can try and give just a snippet of that information, and those feelings to people listening, um, then then I've I've done my job and I feel good about it. So, uh, and I think I think that's why that's why I, I, I like doing this job. Not it's got to be said, and Martin back me up otherwise. Not every driver can do this. Come in and do what Amp does. You have, to my mind, and even before we had you in the booth, and you had delight when we found out that you're going to be joining us. Um, because for one thing, we get through a few chocolate biscuits. Yeah, that's very um, true. But um, <laughs> helping the waistline. It's your ability to analyse on the hoof concisely um, any incident, any kind of subject that comes our way. And I've watched and enjoyed you doing that before Formula One, and you bring exactly that to the FI World Endurance Championship, and that's a joy. That's one side of motorsport commentary. I'll answer for me in a moment. Martin, you've been doing this since before there was television. Yeah. And if you come past me now, it's Sterling Moss. <laughs> um, the, the simple answer, Stein, is uh, accident and don't give up the day job. Um, there is genuinely, there really isn't much of a living to be made in motorsport commentary. It's not well paid, it's <laughs> genuinely not glamorous. Ask anybody who does it. As we sit here in a porter cabin. But we do it because we love this and we want other people to love it as much yeah. as we do i mean that's we're basically john rambo of motorsport we want our country to, we want people to love this and, and we have you know, none of us are none of us have been taught to do this as you may have guessed none of us have been trained how to do this properly again you may be aware of that what we try and bring is what 
motorsport gives to fans and drivers and teams and everybody else, which is passion and excitement. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, again, it's, we've, we're three people with three very different stories. For me, uh, my career track was trained as a journalist, didn't work initially as a journalist, went off to work in PR, and that meant that I was helping people to do complicated communication things in the written word and the spoken word on TV, training people to do live TV interviews, even though I'd never done one. Uh, moved on later in more senior positions to be doing that myself, so being a spokesman for big public bodies. Um, once I left a career that meant I couldn't work as a freelance journalist, started working in freelance journalism, was handed a microphone, amongst others, by, thank you very much, David Allison, thank you very much, John Hindoff. And that led to me doing a lot of guesting colour, effectively, uh, at races in the UK and around the world. And then the WEC started and there came the opportunity to just take that step up. I love it more than words can say. I love working with engaging and talented people. And at some point I will, which uh, works. <laughs> Very good. But it's, it's, it is, you, you're, you're entirely correct, both of you. It is such a joy to be able to be in a medium that opens up another avenue to people who clearly share our passion and don't necessarily have the access that we do. I think we're getting into an era where more of that can happen. Steve, if I were you, I don't know where you are or um, how old you are. We've got two minutes, so we're going to pack this one in. Um, have a look at what's available in online racing. Yeah. Get involved with that community, see how that sticks, and let us know how it goes. The guys are going to do some chair shuffling because we're about to go live for qualifying. I've been Graham Goodwin. He's been Martin Haven. He's been up Davidson. This has been the Week in Sports Cars with thanks again to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, we will be back with you, hopefully with Marshall Pruitt, next week. Thanks so much.